You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Okay, Be The Bridge. Um, As always, I'm excited to introduce you to um, a sister, a friend, a new friend now. (laughs) I don't mean a stranger. Uh, Just someone that's doing some incredible work. Um, And I want to introduce you to Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggets. She is a writer, a thought leader, and the author um, and a collaborator of 20 books across several genres. Didn't know that. She offers those who read her work and hear her speak an opportunity to explore the intersection of culture, identity, and faith at its deepest levels. Um, Tracy is the host of the podcast Heart Talk and Tracy Michelle and the founder of Heart Space, a healing community created to serve those who have experienced trauma of any kind through the use of storytelling and arts. Her book, Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration. I love that. Her book just recently won the 2023 NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Literary Work Instructional. Her latest release is a powerful book. Um, They came for mine, Healing from the Trauma of Racial Violence. And so this is the new one that's coming out or is that one currently out, Tracy? That one is currently out. It came out in September. So Black Joy came out in February and then They Came for Mine came out in September. Um, I entered the conversation about racial violence from my own grief. Okay. Um, I had written Black Joy and it was kind of the antidote Right. Before I actually had the wherewithal to really unpack my own grief Mm -hmm. around racial violence and what black and brown and indigenous folks face in this country and Mm -hmm. all over the world. Um, On October 24th, 2018, my elder cousin, Vicki Lee Jones, walked into a Kroger grocery store in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, and um, didn't make it home. A white man decided that she would die that day because Mm -hmm. she was black along with a grandfather that was there shopping with his grandson. And so um, I'd watched my family and continue to watch my family uh, navigate that grief very publicly. Um, You know, everything from trying to get it, you know, classified as a hate crime and all of the work that goes in, goes on beyond the scenes Mm -hmm. while also trying to deal with our own mental and emotional health in the process. Mm -hmm. And so that began the excavation. I began to not only just kind of deal with my own healing process, but Mm -hmm. also figure out or explore how Black folks have been navigating this violence. Right. Um, looking at history, um, look, present day, right? Mm-hmm. But then also challenging um, 
white people, white people of faith. Right. To around the complicity of silence, mm-hmm. around um, what is necessary for healing to happen in both realms. Um, and just began, you know, everything kind of just flowed from that yeah. fountain, if you will, like that fountain of grief, of uh, rage, of mm-hmm. sorrow and joy in the midst of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the I think that's that two prong thing that's hard to explain where in the midst of grief and sorrow and despair, um, I I know this to be true, especially in our people. There's like this 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 joy, you know, like mm-hmm. out of, you know, out of our pain, you know, with everything that was happening um, in 2014 uh, with. Um, Mike Brown, you know, comes Black Twitter, you know, in the midst of that, you know. Um, and so you you, you see this um, even throughout history, just when you think about the things that have been created during mm-hmm. times of, of great despair. Um, it's just unbelievable, you know. I mean, blues, um, blues music, gospel music, you know, all those things were 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 birthed out of pain in a, in a, in a lot of ways, you know. I always say that um, Black folks are the ultimate alchemists. Mm. We have learned how to transform yeah. pain. Mm. And like part of the thing that I wanted to, even in my book, Black Joy, the, the subtitle is um, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration, because mm-hmm. Resistance is only one part of our joy. Right. Like, you know, it's not if, if our joy only showed up as a form of resistance, then that means that we're centering the thing that we're resisting. But mm. it's so much more than that. It is resilience. It is that kind of alchemy of transforming pain. Like you said, yeah. every major American genre of music is born from our pain, from our yeah. rhythm. Mm-hmm. So gospel, blues, rock and roll, hip hop, yeah. you know, all of that comes from us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... We've learned how to do that transformation work. And so I think the next leg of the race for us is the healing work, mm. is the restoration. Yeah. Like our ancestors have given us survival, given us access, right? Mm. Given us all of that. And so now, yes, we still have to resist. Yes, we still transform. But like, how do we restore and heal whether or not we solve the problem of racism and white supremacy? Right. Or how do right. we do that? Right. And yeah. And how do we like because that healing is a part of our survival. And so Mm -hmm. when you talk about healing from trauma and racial violence, like I think one of the first parts of your healing seems like is like the writing it down, Mm -hmm. telling your story. Yeah, I think that's always been right. Like for me, it's always been the safest place for me was the page. Mm. Because of my own personal trauma, the safest place for me was the page. That the page could hold the pain. The page could hold it even if I didn't have a voice, right? Mm. If I felt like I didn't have a voice to talk about it, it was the place where I held. So that that has always been my starting point. Right. Um, it got to a point where it wasn't enough, mm-hmm. but it was definitely my starting point. Yeah. When you, um, how long have you been um, writing? Like how long have you been Pinning, um, it probably goes back to high school, but I'm just saying, like, as a professional writer, I would right. say, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, like you said, I've been writing forever, so them little skits and, and Sunday school, and- <laughs> yeah, I 
love it. <laughs> you know, high school, Black History Month, you yes. know, programs and all that. But professionally, I would say for about 21 years. Right, right. So in 2002, I published my first little poetry collection. I kind of entered it through poetry and fiction, um, then began freelancing and journalism, then went to grad school, you know, then went to grad school again. Because, <laughs> you know, black women, you know, we do. Yeah, we like, we <laughs> so went again, began teaching and then writing nonfiction essays and so on and so on. So about 21 years. Oh, wow. Wow. And so, you know, we're hearing about some of your work now, but you've been doing this. Like you, you. I've been here. Yeah, you've been here. <laughs> Look, she's like, hey, some of y'all just noticing, but I've been doing this. I've been grinding. Like, you know, I got a catalog. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about that is like, and I think that's important for like anybody who might be listening that are, mm-hmm. that's like trying to do something right. Or, mm-hmm. um, is that a lot of times we define our enoughness by who has seen us or how, mm-hmm. what kind of accolades that we right. get, And what I've had to wrestle with and come to terms with is that what people are just now seeing, I've been doing, right? And I've been honing that craft and I've been doing it for a long time. And there have been times where I was like, why am I doing it? Nobody is seeing me. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's buying my books. And yet there was some value in that that Mm -hmm. hidden time, in that hidden space, you know? It was preparing you for now. Yes, Because I wasn't ready for it. I couldn't hold it, right? Right. And I think hopefully now, we'll see. Hopefully I can hold it. (laughs) (laughs) I I believe you can. Um, This is Women's History Month. And um, in in Black Joy, you talk about the power of Black women's sharp and pointed, tender and um, omniscient love for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about that title? Like, just talk about that a little um, just that when you talk about the sharp and pointed tender, that, like yeah. there's so much in that, even how you describe that. Like, yeah, there's there's a complexity for our love mm. for each other, you know. Yeah. And um, when I was writing that piece, um, the black or the love, mm. I was asked by Essence magazine to write a piece on black love. And I know the easy route would have been to talk about romantic love, mm-hmm. but some of the most beautiful romances I've seen have been between friends, you know, mm-hmm. platonic. And I, I use romance lightly. I know that can get, yeah. well, we'll interpret that as they will. But what I mean is that the love at the kitchen table, at the salons mm-hmm. of my childhood, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the gatherings, mm-hmm. um, in the living room or on the porch, mm-hmm. right? Like, that love, that dynamic, yes, it, you know, because of the world in which we live and the context we live, it can be perceived as sharp and pointed, right? The mm-hmm. way that we speak to each other, the way that we care care about each other. Mm-hmm. But underlying it, and that's why I say even joy is under is is an undercurrent, right? Mm-hmm. It's not happiness, which is external, it's mm-hmm. undercurrent. Yeah. Same thing with our love. It's there's a tenderness, there's a tender quality, is a care. Mm. that I observed, that I've always longed for in my friendships and relationships. Um, And it was important for me to highlight that kind of love, Mm. that kind of sisterhood um, and bonding that I watched aunties and, you know, and mom Mm. and and even the ones that I began to establish myself in college and later on. So the Blacker the Love... Mm. 
You know what I mean? Like we all know the black and the, the berry, the sweet of the juice, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's something very sweet and tender, yeah. but also tart and saucy and sassy, like everything yeah. that we're nuanced people. We're yeah. complex people, right? Yeah. Our humanity is 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 comprised of so much, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw that in the relationships between women. Um, and again, have longed for that in my own relationships. Yeah, I, I think um, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about even how that was modeled watching my mom and her friendships. And yeah. um, she was just telling me about a couple of friends that um, that she used to work with, that she connected with, that she reconnected with. And, um, you know, just what they meant. And I, I in one of the ladies, I remember her doing my hair, you know, mm-hmm. for prom, you know, <laughs> or, you know, just 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 that complex. And then thinking about my my grandmother and her relationships and how mm-hmm. people that lived on the street. And my my dad told the story about one day he had come home and all the women that were that lived um in his, um, they live in the public public housing at, at that time, mm-hmm. and they were all at his house, and they were all crying. And he said he came in the door, he looked around, and everybody was crying, and he started crying too because he thought something had happened. He started crying, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know, what they what were they crying for? What happened? And they said um, somebody shot Victor Newman. <laughs> <laughs> They were gathered to watch the soap operas, you yeah, know, the um, they yeah. would gather to cook. They would look out for um, each other's children and, mm-hmm. you know, they would work together. They, you know, all these things. And so just I hadn't thought about that in a while. And are that story since my dad passed. But when you were saying that, that's the first thing I thought about is, you know, him coming home to this. You know, African American women and they're crying. You know, the gnashing of teeth over me. <laughs> Listen, I wrote in Black Joy an essay about my grandmother, and Victor Newman shows up in, in that story also, okay? Because I remember being two and three years old. My mom would drop me off at my grandmother's house, and she had a girlfriend, Violet. Um, I'll never forget Violet. Face was always like beat to the gods, as the kids say. <laughs> just, just glorious. And they used to talk about Smokey Robinson and and Victor Newman and all the the stories. And it was just the the camaraderie, the right. the care, the comfort that they found in each other was just. I will always remember that. Even my little three year old mind. I don't know how I remember. I think wow. I remember the energy of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that is it. incredible. Um, <clears throat> this is love. That was some Victor Newman. I know. That's a, the fact that I remembered his name. Like the right. fact that it rolled off rolled mm-hmm. off my tongue. Like that, the fact that I remembered that, that Absolutely. is crazy. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, I can tell you the, all, all the stories we could tell about uh, watching soap operas with your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you share about, you know, some of the women who have shaped you? And helps you in your journey of joy and, and healing. Yeah. <clears throat> I think one that I just mentioned is uh, my grandmother, mm. um, who we lost in 09. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I think she, and I'm actually writing about this now, so it's mm-hmm. interesting that you're um, asking me about it. Because the one thing that I know about my grandmother is that she was a 
master of reinvention, mm. right? And I learned a lot from her in terms of how you never have to stay in the place that's mm. not serving you. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't think that um, I'd learned that lesson anywhere else, but from her, um, she has lived all over the world. She traveled with um, high profile people, um, taking care of special needs kids. Mm. She uh, got her degree later on in life. Mm. She um, just, I mean, she, in hindsight, you know, you think of your grandmother as older, but when I realized when I did the numbers, um, when I was born, she was 39, Uh (laughs) you know, and uh, my mom was 19. And so there was this, um, there was just this way that she carried herself mm-hmm. that I think that I always longed to be, mm-hmm. um, which was confidence. Um, but again, she held intention that with depression, mm-hmm. right? And 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 the trials of you know two divorces mm-hmm. and and all kinds of things that were going on in her life that of course I wouldn't known as a, wouldn't have known as a child she was holding the grief and the rage and the sorrow of that along with what I was feeling which was her joy and her vivaciousness like I always say she wasn't the grandmother with the moo moo in the bible right? right she was the one that had the you know she would uh try to gourmet soul food right so right. she might have risotto with some with some pig ears oh. <laughs> she would, like, try to mix it up right because her travels showed her she's got a chance to see the world and so i think you know she's one person um that comes to mind um i'm gonna say this and i apologize in advance if i get a little weepy Mm. but i am going to call my mother's name Mm. and it's not a name that i probably would have said if you had asked me that a year ago Um, Recently, me and my mother had an opportunity to sit before a therapist and have really a deep healing session. And what I saw in that moment, as much as she resisted it, as much as she was like, I don't know about this therapy, honey, I go to Jesus, you know, (laughs) Um, and I get it. You know, she's of a she's of a generation Mm -hmm. um, that struggles a bit with that. But the courage Mm -hmm. that I saw. And honestly, her the the depths of her love for me mm. that she was willing to sit and reconcile some things from our past. Mm. She is now my model for courage mm. and healing and being willing to set aside all of the anxiety that comes with um maybe believing that you didn't do your best job. Mm. And yet standing before your child and letting them know that I've always loved you and I will always like like yeah. again if you asked me this question a year ago I may not have said her name not because I don't love my mother I love my mother yeah. but that her willingness to sit and and heal alongside with me mm. in that space yeah my mama That's my Beautiful, mama Tracy <laughs> thanks for sharing that you know uh I um I hold our stories dear, uh, and and especially sharing that here on this this podcast because you know, um, we're not deserving to hear other people's 
pain and, um, and, and, and struggle. You know, sometimes we can, we, sometimes we, we get something out of that, but just know that it's an honor when people share, especially it's an honor when people of color share their stories with you. So, you know, our community is very diverse. And for those of you who are listening, when someone shares, um, their, their story with you like this, um, um, to listen and to sit with that and know that it's an honor um, for them to share a part of themselves with you. And so thank you um, um, for that. You know, we are very complex. Our history is so complex. I mean, um, our relationships with our, our moms, you know, because you think about, I think we're probably around and maybe in the same age bracket, mm-hmm. you know, but and so our probably our moms are probably in the same age bracket yeah. and knowing what they're a product from as far as their their parents being um some of those early baby boomers, you know, in that yeah. sense. And they um having come up in the sixties and seventies and the trauma that they hold and mm-hmm. um, you know, the 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 relationship that they had with their parents. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I, I realize, you know, now that I'm older, the the grandparents that I had were not necessarily the parents that my mom and dad had. And and yeah. so you don't realize that until until you get older. And th- there's something, there was a, you know, kind of like a transformation that happened as they've gotten older. Mm-hmm. But there were some things that left some trauma within, you know, our parents. And then that instilled upon us and how they communicate or the lack of communication or the mm-hmm. lack of ownership. And so it's like so much of what you said, I understand so much. And I'm like, yeah. you know, I understand. And, you know, and like most of our family, they don't really believe in um, counseling, you know, yeah. um, it's, you know, it's, it's very um, taboo um, within our community. You're hearing about it more now, yeah. Um, you know, um, but yeah, that's th- that is real. That is so yeah. real. Um, it's funny because now I think where I see that the most is when I look at my daughter and I look mm. at my mother, right? And I have an eleven year old, and um, she's uh, challenging me because she's going through adolescence. <laughs> oh, she is. <laughs> so we know 11, 12, and 13 young yes. lady. Yes. Um, and it's a lot. <laughs> so, I can only imagine. <laughs> so, but, but watching the dynamic between my mother and her, mm-hmm. um, and it can be easy to long for something that maybe you didn't get. Um, but I, the the tension of that, the the two things that can be true in that is mm. um, that also I am watching healing in action, right? Mm. Like I'm watching it in real time. Yeah. And I'm seeing this 11-year-old free Black girl that is benefiting not only from what I'm giving her the freedom to do that I did not have, but mm. also I'm watching my mother get free in the process also. Mm. Um, and that's a very, it's an interesting dynamic, but it's also um, soothing. It's it's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing how, um, I think you can get a glimpse of how 
your parents love through how they interact with grandchildren or um or nieces or nephews and um things like that you know um I, i'm watching even one of my cousins he was like he's like oh i just love being a grandpa like you know like yeah. it is like you know just seeing that that the, just watching him and watching him live through that um now is just it brings me um um uh, so much joy um in yeah. your um in your book, um, Then They Came From Mine, you say in John 5, Jesus asked the man laying at the side of the healing pool of um, um, Beth, Bethza. I'm saying that wrong. Hold on. Let me see. <laughs> it's technically Bethesda, but it's Bethesda, Bethesda I think, in yeah. one Okay. Jesus asked the man laying at the side of the healing pool of Bethesda. I want to make sure I sound correct. (laughs) Laying right beside the place that could heal his pain. Um, Do you want to be well? I ask the same of both white and black readers. Are you ready to be well? Um, What if wellness lives on the other side of pain and grief? What if wellness looks like sitting in the discomfort of what privilege and violence have wrought your fellow man? Mm. I mean... Child, like that right there is so true because, like, um, my healing if I left my healing tied to something that white people have to do, mm-hmm. I'm never gonna heal, yeah, you know, I'm you know, you know, what I'm saying, and so, like, it's just you know. How do we heal even in the midst of continuation of pain and affliction and oppression and marginalization? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also that other question of saying, do you want to heal? You know, that is huge. What was you thinking? Like, I want (laughs) to As I said, like I was entering this from my own grief. Mm -hmm. Um, After grieving the loss of my uh, cousin, I was doing some uh, DEI work on Mm -hmm. the campus where I was teaching and we were getting a lot of hostility, pushback, threats. And in July of 2019, my body shut down. Mm -hmm. I was basically in the bed for six, six, seven months. my body said no more, mm. right? And I think from that space of stillness, um, I began to ask, I, I began to hear those questions. Do you want to be made? Like you're literally sitting yeah. beside the pool, the thing that can make you well. Mm. Are you willing to pick up your mat and walk? And and as I began to ponder that question, I, I began to look at it globally. Like, are we really willing to do what's necessary to be well? Because here's the thing, that work looks different from white and non-Black folks yeah. as it was for Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks, mm. right? And so I am of the mind that Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks um, will have to find ways to heal Again, whether we solve the problem of racism, whether or not we dismantle white supremacy, Uh you know, that work has Uh to occur. That is the next leg of the race Uh that our ancestors are like pushing us toward. Uh White and and non-Black folks are going to have to sit in the discomfort of decentering themselves, Uh sit in the discomfort of 
um, not just listening and learning, mm-hmm. but also locating, mm. you know, the evidence of the things that they're listening and learning about, mm. right? And then leveraging whatever privileged status they have to make the change. That's mm. their work. But my work is not defined by theirs. Mm. Like you said, my work of healing goes back to the antidote, the book beforehand, which is joy. How mm. do I access joy in my body even when rage and sorrow and grief is still big in it? Right. How do I allow myself, give myself permission to experience joy in this same vessel where rage and sorrow continuously exists? Mm. How do I do that? How do I once I figure out what joy feels like in my body, which is really was the starting point for me. My therapist said to me, Tracy, what does joy feel like in your body? And I was like, uh, see what happened. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) Right. And I was well over 40 years old. Right. Like I Mm -hmm. could not name it. I could not tell you what it felt Mm. like. I could tell you what rage felt like, though. I can call it real quick. I could tell you what grief felt like, but I couldn't name joy. Mm. And so I began the work of trying to figure out what it felt like in my body. And then once I did that, now I had an access point. I could call it up. And I can win the rage when I got another on my feed, another unarmed black person is killed or something came my way that triggered my grief and sorrow and rage. I could call up joy to help me. It's not going to make it go away, but it's going to help right size me so I don't go off the deep end in rage um, in my grief. Mm. And so that to me is the work of black and brown and indigenous folks is like, how do we. Um, embrace our own humanity, the full complexity of who we are, which includes joy and peace and love and ease Mm. and give ourselves permission for all of those things, even as we rage, even as we wail um, simultaneously. That is the work of wellness for us. Mm. Um, And then how do we amplify our joy, you know, so that it replicates itself across the community, across the collective, Mm. White folks and non-Black folks have a different work, you know, and that work, I would argue, is incredibly challenging. And it is the source of much of the resistance that we see now, because what people don't want to talk about when they talk about race and talk about racial violence in particular Mm -hmm. is that there is a real grief in knowing that in order to right size racism and all of the isms, Mm -hmm. right, something has to be lost, Mm. right? Your status, your centering, all of something has to be lost. There's a real grief in that. And that grief for people who have always colonized and dominated the world is shows up as violence. Yeah. Right. And January 6th is a great example of that. Right. So I think the work is different, but they're not dependent on each other. But they're not dependent. 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 If you've been enjoying and learning from the Be the Bridge podcast, we invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurring partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel. So if you haven't gotten your Be The Bridge hat, sweatshirt, all of the things, let's take the message to the street. Visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com 
and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that Be The Bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our posts, those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, So join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much. It's, it looks different. And that's like, even through Be The Bridge, like how we um, reach our white bridge builders is totally different from our BIPOC. And those are things that we had to really be on a learning curve with, you know? Um, and, you know, because, you know, me um, starting out in this work, it was like, you know, get a group of diverse friends together yeah. and sit and have this conversation, um, yeah. you know, like, and that's what I was doing. But right. that looks different depending on the community and how the people, exactly. the posture of the people come into the conversation. And then Absolutely. also what the person that, you know, is has, has gone through where mm-hmm. that could be very triggering for people. Yes. Um, and, you know, and so we, we, we started this work. And then it was like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to create some resources first. We need you to go through this intensive first. So we need to really get you to understand white culture, white identity first, you know. And then we also need to really do some 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 deep healing in ourselves, you know, before we come together, you know. So that exactly. that's why we've created some of the resources we created. But some of it, it was like, hey, go and do. And people were right. doing <laughs> And, um, you know, and, and, and in some places it was working well and in some places it was blowing up, you know, um, you know, and so that's the part that we don't, um, you know, like the talk to, but there's some people that stayed through the blowing up part, you know, um, and, you know, and just on the, on the other side of that, but you said something just now that was like, so key, um, in, in our work, we do we we talk about like this posture of listening, learning, um, lamenting, um, mm-hmm. leveraging um, love, and you just said something that was like <laughs> I feel like a missing piece. To <laughs> I think we do it. It coincides with lament, but sometimes mm-hmm. with that lament, you know, having this collective lament, um, you know, leads you towards. Um, um, j- justice, like if, if you right. do this work right. But I think right. part of that that's missing is you said locate. Yes. And that was like, I, you know, all of the allies and co-conspirators and yeah. you know, accomplices that I know. Yeah. You know, I would listen to them and they would say, oh, I'm listening, Tracy, and I'm yeah. learning. And I was, okay, great. That's a great uh, start. But I think what you said, where you guys started, yeah. the conversations are necessary. That's important. Education yeah. is important. But if you can't see it once you mm. know it, you know, like if you're at the workplace and you can't locate what it is that you just learned about, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you don't have the lens for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and um, and you can't even um, locate the individuals that can help you 
get the lens or whatever, yeah. then then all of the leveraging can't happen, right? Because yeah. you don't see it, right? Yeah. You are at the you are standing in line at the Macy's. And you don't even notice that this black woman has been skipped twice in line because it's not on your radar. Mm. And you've read all the books about mm. all the Rosa Parks and all the things and you've mm. done the Juneteenth and you you and you've know you know it, but it's not um it's still very disconnected. And that's why I'm I'm somatic person, so it's like embodied, right? Mm-hmm. It's disconnected from your real life, so you can't locate, so you're not gonna step in. You're not going to step in and say, wait, no, it's her turn. She should go next. You're not going to leverage whatever status you have in that moment because you can't see it. Mm. And so locating, I think I added, I have four L's. Listen, learn, locate and leverage. Mm -hmm. And so that that third L, I think, is one that, you know, most people don't even think about because they think they we assume that once you learn something. Knowledge is not wisdom, right? right? Knowledge is knowledge, right? And so mm-hmm. I know a lot of allies who have a lot of knowledge have no ability to apl- apply it, right? Mm-hmm. And so the lack of application comes because they can't see what's happening. It's not part of their world. It's not in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And they don't have enough of the relationships to be able to be around, you know, mm-hmm. the intimate relationships that allow them to be able to see something. It's the mm-hmm. same way as a a uh, partner who notices that their partner is going through a thing because they have been around that person. They can read the language. They can mm-hmm. read their bodies. They know, okay, something's not right here. You don't have the relationships, but you don't have the ability to read in such a way, right? And yeah. you certainly are not going to be able to locate where the gaps are yeah. in your whatever space you're, whether it's church, job, mm-hmm. wherever you wherever you happen to be. That is so good because, I mean, we're seeing that like when you say um, locate, you know, it's kind of like I'm thinking about some of the things that's happening now with, um, you know, um, the banning of books, um, you know, the things with the whole like clearly we can see, okay, to be anti-woke is to be anti-black. Like it's like. It's right. so big and bold. Like, I mean, if right. you know anything about history, if you read right. any books, you can clearly see the playbook. This is just the um, the Southern strategy just um, right. reinvented a little bit right. or just it just evolved. And like we can clearly see that. But when people in this, they can jump on that bandwagon. I say, oh, no, don't say that. Don't say this. You're like, wait a minute. Like, what have you? <laughs> Like, what have you been doing? What have you been reading when you can't see? And I think really what I would say is um, white supremacy, it makes you blind. You know, like this, it it, it makes you... um, It's it makes you ignorant, you know? It's, 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 it it is a deep, it is, we know it's a sin. We know that. But like, it is a, it's a very deep evil, you know? And so, and 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 let and those of you who are hearing this, I'm talking about the system, right, <laughs> of white supremacy. <laughs> you know, um, and so th- those are just some of the things, and I think this is, um, this is really, really um, just incredible. When you, um, you, one of the things you say in sharing about, then they came from mine. You said, "I have the power to plant seeds and curate safe and nurture nurturing environments for Black and Brown folks wherever and however." 
Um, I can, but healing the hearts of people who can't see God and my face is above my pay grade. Amen. It is. I can't Amen. do nothing about that. I can't do nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it to you. You know, you mm-hmm. like there, there are people that I say, will get it. And some people who want and yes. won't. And I, if I'm so worried about the people who won't get it, like the people who are here will get overlooked. And so, Absolutely. you know, so I'm all for, you know, you know, it's in Matthew where it says like, you know, sometimes you just got to shake the dust off your sandals. Yes. We're going to shake the dust off our Jordans, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and keep it moving. And, you know, and so that's the thing. I think that's what also allows me to, um, Maintain my hope and, and, and peace in this, you know, like, um, you know, um, where I just sometimes you just have to let it go because I do believe that this this work is not mine, that it's God's work, you know, Absolutely. that I'm doing and just being used as a vessel. So because I can hold that loosely like that, I'm just like, God, you got to get your people because, woo, child, they, they a mess. Like, yeah, a whole mess. And that's how and I talk. That's, I mean, that's how I pray. That's how I talk. Like, Lord, get them. Like, only right. you can do that. Like, I cannot transform hearts, you know. You know and, and I don't entertain anybody who operates and mm. doesn't operate in good faith. Oh, that's right? and so there's sometimes there's some questions I just don't answer anymore. Mm. Um, there's some some questions that I um, might answer, but my answer might be a little short. Yeah. One of the questions that you know comes up inevitably every time we have some re- um, reiteration of violence. Um, mm-hmm. People reach out to me, and they always say, you know, I'm thinking of you. Right. Because yeah. they know my family has gone through this, which is fine. That's mm-hmm. empathy. I, I'm grateful for that. Um, but then they say, well, what can I do? And I say, what would you do if it was your family member? And there's silence. Right. It's like. If you see me as a human being, if you see my humanity, if you see this person's mm. humanity, then you know exactly what to do, because you would do for your own family member, for your own, you would go to the ends of the earth for their justice. Yes. yes. And 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 so I so my pushback sometimes if I do decide to answer is like, let's challenge your notions of who you believe is worthy and and of justice and and do you really see me as human? Mm. Right. My um my humanity. It does my humanity really matter? Mm-hmm. And these are for even the most so-called progressive yeah. uh, folks, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and I, you know, have have to push back and say, just put your family member's face on that body. Mm-hmm. And then you tell me what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't answer certain questions anymore. And like mm-hmm. I said, there's certain things I can't change your heart. I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I do not have that power. Mm-hmm. All I can do is create environments for safety for my people. I can um, provide affirmation for my people. I can inspire. I can motivate. I can push us past survival towards rival, mm-hmm. thriving, right, by offering us safety where it's possible. Mm. That's mm. it. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's my ministry. Somebody yeah. else got a different one. <laughs> yeah. That's what I say. We all have different parts in this. And, yeah. you know, and um, there's some people that, hey, that's their thing. It's convincing. That's what they wanted. Then 
they, that's their part and I will send them to you, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not trying to convince, convince anyone of systemic, you know, racism. You know, if yeah. you're coming to be the bridge, you need to know that, um, that, that brokenness exists and you want to play a part in the solution of that. And so that's yeah. why you, you're here. We're going to have to start from that starting point. Now okay. there's some people that, you know, they're before that. And so, you know, there are other organizations that can do that pre-work. Um, and just like, you know, there's stuff that we do that, you know, hey, after you go through this pathway, this transformational pathway, um, then there's other organizations that, you know, you need to understand the X, Y, and Z about, you know. And so I think this is this the continuation of growth is all we're always learning. We're always growing. Um what are some things now, like you, you you say, what are some of the practices or rhythms that you engage in to help you foster joy and healing? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, there are my personal practices that I do. So I actually was just talking about this to someone. Um, I swing. Oh. Wait a minute, let me fix that. <laughs> that might be like <laughs> <laughs> no, not that kind. What okay. I do mean is I go to the park and I get on a swing. Oh, okay. I thought you were thinking swing dancing. Oh no. Oh. These knees, I, I don't have Megan's knees. I can't <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> oh, you go so, swing. So so one of the things that I used to do when I was a child that, you know, even when turmoil was around me was I'd go mm. to the park and swing and I felt so free. It's mm. like you know, I'd get on that swing and back then I would, I, you know, my knees were good. So I would yeah. jump out of that and it felt like I was flying and it was such a joy. It filled wow. me with so much joy. And so um, actually recently, a couple of days ago, me and my husband and my daughter walked to the park up the street uh-huh. and um, I got on a swing and I had been feeling not that great in my body. Mm. And there was something about being on that swing. Even my husband was looking at me laughing because he's like, you just as happy as a lark. You know, <laughs> there was something about just my almost 50 year old self uh-huh. on that, on that swing, just swinging. And the, you know, a lot of things kind of fell off of mm. me. Right? Mm-hmm. And so there are things, what I tell people is that figure out what joy feels like in your body. Mm. So you can access it later. And then once you do that, make an effort to recreate that as much mm. as you can. Write your joy in to mm. your day. Right. right. And that might be something that's not always like the big trip to Mexico with the girls. Yeah. It Sometimes it is. It's just I'm going to turn this music on and I'm going to dance for 10 minutes before right. I go in this meeting and these people drive me crazy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. um, or, you know, play, yeah. right? Whatever play looks like mm-hmm. for you. Um, and make being intentional about setting that up as a practice for yourself. Because we know that the rage and the sorrow and the grief and stuff is coming, right? Right. Like our existence as Black people in this country means that there's a kind of hypervigilance that we do have, Mm. right, around what's coming. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And so the way that the tension that we live in is the the thing, I I always say the blessing that our ancestors gave us is that we can hold these multiple, this multiplicity of things, right, in our bodies. And Mm. we can give ourselves permission. And I think for some of us, we need to do that, right? We need to give ourselves permission to hold joy, even when we're feeling these other things. And so for me, it's swinging. Um, It's my prayer meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Um, It is um, my daughter who is like the epitome of joy, like Mm. just looking at 
that you're going to get a little joy because she's a whole mess. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> you know, in all the good ways. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and I just, you know, I pray, you know, for people to find what that looks like for them and to be intentional about it, to guard it, mm. right? Because we know how the enemy works, right? So, you know, once you start to employ these things, um, you know, your body may kick back on you and be like, mm. wait a minute now, this don't feel safe because what right. if, you know, once you start feeling good, you know, the other shoe may drop, something bad mm. is going to happen and letting go of the control that we mm. think that we need to have because um, we're not in control, mm. you know, no amount of joy you have today is going to stop violence from happening tomorrow. Right. It's mm. not. But it will give you, it will fill you up to the point that you will be able to sustain yourself when that joy happens. Mm. I mean, when that violence happens. And okay. so um, I think, you know, just being intentional on a daily basis. I say daily and I, I don't like to be... I know that some things aren't accessible for folks, right? I have the right. privilege that I could go up the street and, and, and swing or go to the ocean, right? right? Not everybody has that privilege, but whatever it looks like for you, mm. it might just be sitting on a bench somewhere, yeah. taking a deep breath, 10 deep breaths, and then mm. going about the business, right? Like mm. whatever it is, take it, own it, and yeah. guard it. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, I really love that. I like to go on walks, um, mm. you know, um, and I think that's going to look different for everyone. I think it's a, a challenge to really to say, hey, discover that um, yeah. for for yourself. What is what is that thing that that brings you um, um, joy for some people it's singing? Yes. Instruments, you know, mm-hmm. different things is going to look different for a lot of different people. But we need to find that like in really. Um, hold on to it, you know, especially in this these these days um, mm-hmm. that we have, it, you know, and for some of it is laughter, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, just I like a good laugh, you know, a good tackle, right? <laughs> that gut, did you feel in your in your body? <laughs> laugh, yes, that you can feel is laughter is is healing. Um, in so many ways, what are some things you know that you are? I I, I ask. Pretty much a lot of um, all of my guests, this question, um, just so that even those who are listening, they know how to pray for you. Um, They know um, things that, you know, maybe they're not lamenting. um, Others are. Um, Mm -hmm. So just it just brings about awareness too. Um, what are some things that you are lamenting? Hmm. I know it's so much. It, it, there's so much. Mm-hmm. I, and my, I don't want my answer to be like overly woo-woo, but mm-hmm. I am lamenting how many of us are walking around disembodied. Mm. Meaning that there's something, there's nothing behind the eyes. Mm. And it's because of trauma and because of pain and because of being in survival mode. Mm. And like, I, this is how I can navigate. Um, I was in Los Angeles for the Image Awards and um, I saw a lot of that. There was mm. something missing, right? Even mm. behind the smiles and the, you know, um, 
presence and the mm. beauty, you know, there was, and, and of course, not everyone, not all, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I, I so many of us have not connected to, we're afraid to be in our bodies. Okay. And I believe that um, some of what the Holy Spirit shows us starts there. Mm. Some of what's revealed a lot of times starts in our bodies. You know, some of the aches and pains that a lot of us have is it, is a conversation that God's trying to have with us. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think um, I don't know, and, and maybe it's less about disem- people walking around disembodied, and more about I wish more of us felt safe. Mm. And I think. So many of us just don't feel safe. Mm. And yes, safe in the arms of Jesus. Yes, like I get it. Like at, at a spiritual level, there is a covering that um, those who believe have, but there is a an insecurity and a mm. lack of safety that, especially black and brown and indigenous folks mm-hmm. that we have that I think is taking its toll. Yeah. And I'm not, again, it's above my pay grade to really know besides to do what I'm called to do, um, but to do about it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I didn't want to get too... Yeah. I mean, I yes, I lament white supremacy. Yes, I yeah, lament, yeah, lament... Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. But I'm, I'm thinking about how do we navigate yeah. this world, Yeah, right? Yeah. And I feel like so many of us just don't feel safe. yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, my God, like, how do we, what is it going to take for us? Some of us can't hear. Yeah. yeah. Because we don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. We can't allow our vulnerability, allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough mm-hmm. because we are hypervigilant and we always have our guard up. Yeah. So it's a long-winded answer to that's, your question. No, that's that's good because I think it's something about having these conversations with other um, um, Black women, you know, Black and Indigenous women. I think um, I think there's power in that and speaking those things because sometimes we don't even know what's missing ourselves, yeah. you know. Um, I know for me, like one of the things that I've been carrying, like probably for for probably really since the shooting at Top's um, um, grocery store. Like, the world has moved on. Yeah. You know, but, like, I think about that every time I go into a grocery store. I was just sitting in my car the other day um, doing something, and... I was like, oh, make sure my door is like, you know, like, like yeah. just just things like that. What I'm constantly processing, yeah. And um, the it it was like I felt it's so it's crazy, and that I'm bringing words to this. I felt um, more safe in South Korea than I did in my own country. Mm. Mm. You know, and it's like. I'm like, what, what is that? You know, um, um, because we, we have a very violent culture, um, and you know, the United States. And so, um, yeah. And so I think bringing sometimes 
truth to that lament and words to that and confessing that to one another that helps alleviate some of that, you know, like where I yeah. I don't have to carry that, you know. Right. We can give it air. Yeah, yeah. If we give it air, then it's not a weight yes. that we have to carry alone. Like you right. mentioned the grocery after my um cousin was killed, um, I didn't go in a grocery store for probably almost a year. And even today, I'm mm-hmm. he- Instacart is my friend. Yeah. Um, I'm very hesitant about going into groceries. And when I do, I have a in, a mental process, an internal process that I go through for checking exits, you know, Me looking too. at this person, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sometimes get panic attacks. Yeah. Um, so as a person who lives with generalized anxiety disorder, um, and, you know, the panic attacks became more frequent, right? Yeah. So I think that's the reason why I'm sort of drawn to conversations about the body because I, I feel like there, I, there, was, there was so long that I was so disconnected from my mm-hmm. body that I couldn't hear God. I couldn't hear what was being said. Mm-hmm. And I literally had to be laid down mm-hmm. and forced mm-hmm. to be still. Um, and then, and that was around that same time period where I, I was hypervigilant. I'm naturally hypervigilant because of my own personal trauma Mm -hmm. and then to have the trauma of the world, Mm. the the things that I've observed in the world placed upon me. Um, Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I I have a, maybe that's my lament because it's a great point of continued growth for me, Mm. I think. Mm. That's good. What is, um, you talked about something that's bringing you, joy as far as going to the park and being with mm-hmm. your family and swinging. Um, what, what is something that's bringing you hope? Um, you know, I struggle with hope. Mm. Yeah, if I'm yeah. honest. Yeah. I'm struggling with hope. I think if, if, if I had to just think off the top of my head, it is the next, this next generation. Mm. Um, when I look at my daughter, mm. um, she classifies herself as a free black girl. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's something about her naming mm. that for herself and and her having a kind of voice that I didn't have, couldn't mm. even imagine having at 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives me hope for a future mm-hmm. um, that um, is less about the gaze, mm. right? The, the white gaze and the work, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the work will always be and will continue to be, um, but also like a certain kind of moving through the world with a a freedom yeah. because I know God can use that. Yeah. Right? God can use someone who understands that their their personhood is not defined by any of these things that people mm-hmm. have tried to put on them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay, so you ready for the work ahead, right? Whatever it is that I'm calling you, my daughter in particular to do. Uh, so that gives me hope. But I, I have to admit that I struggle with the concept of hope. Mm. Um, and that is just a function of me still doing my joy work, mm. right? Joy is teaching me to hope. Mm. And so every day that I choose joy, every day that I choose ease, choose wholeness, uh, choose to listen, um, it gets me closer to 
or it just amplifies the hope that's kind of goes up and down. Sometimes it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, flaky a little bit. I got mm-hmm. flaky hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I always say, well, Lord, you said, you know, a mustard seed of faith. So I'm hoping that my little mustard seed of hope <laughs> is, you know, right. along the same line. I, mean, I know I'm isogeating right. scripture, but you know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> can I, you know, can I grab on to that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah. you know, joy helps me. Yeah. You know, have yeah. hope. I think that's, I thank you so much for your honesty because, you know, a lot of like, you know, it's hard sometimes. Like, I, I can't, I don't find hope in people, you know, because mm-hmm. people will let you down, disappoint yes. you, you know. And so it's like on the other side of that hope for me, it's just like my hope, you know, not trying to sound super spiritual, but it's in God, like the yeah. creator of all, like, you know, um, And so, um, you know, I was, I think, I think it was, I think it was 2021, like the thing that, um, the song that got me through is like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. And I mean, for real, like really. And, um, you know, in that song, um, I need thee now, like I just, Mm -hmm. I had it on repeat and singing it, you know, because that was the only thing that could sustain all of what I was feeling and all the complexities of of, of everything. You know, I, um, I lost my dad to COVID in 2021. Mm-hmm. And um, just in the midst, there was just so much happening, you know, um, leading this organization, all these things. And it just, you feel like the world is coming in on you. Yeah. And that was the the thing is, is, is my faith that um, was sustaining me, you know, and, and definitely not in systems of people. Because that would, that little, that little quick little racial reckoning, a reckoning or what you would say. The five seconds of reckoning we had. The five seconds right there. You was like, oh my goodness. I mean, even I tell people, Tata, he see codes, like even said, he felt hopeful. Like this is a dude right. like that don't believe, you know, he, right. and our unity was bringing him hope, you know, right. and um, it five whole seconds, five whole seconds, <laughs> if that, <laughs> you know, and, and, and to see um, just the, the, the things that came crashing in the, what yeah. you would say, the, the, um, what you term as white rage um, yeah. that came crashing in because of that, you know, wanting us to rise above that and not fall for these things again. And when you see yeah. some, uh, um, even the elite, you know, um, yeah. falling for um, for this, you're just like, wow, okay. Yeah. You know? Um, but I am so grateful for your voice. I'm grateful for your words. What would you say? Um, I think this is going to actually... I think yours is going to go live this month. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of um, Black and Indigenous women that are, you know, um, um, brown women that are listening to this now. I would love for you just as we close to just speak, um, you know, what would you want to leave um, with those men and women that mm-hmm. are listening right now? Mm-hmm. Joy is your birthright. Mm. It is not something you have to go find. Mm. 
you might have to dig for it within your own mm-hmm. um, soul, soul, right? You know, mm-hmm. but joy is yours to have. Mm. And in the midst of great pain and rage and violence and a culture that um, does it wants to diminish your joy mm-hmm. or, or outright deny its presence, mm. you have the power to be able to access the joy that God has already placed in you. Mm. Um, it's You don't have to, like I said, it's not, a lot of people say, I'm going to go find joy. Um, no, you're just tapping in. You're right. just, you know, reclaiming mm. um, what has always been yours to have. Yes. Um, you know, for my church folk, joy is a person. Yeah. And we can we can talk to and tap into that person. Yeah. And so um that's that's what I would say. Joy, I feel like, is a great starting point for the healing journey. Mm-hmm. Right. Which will encompass so many other things along the way. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, being able to hold your joy in tension with all of the complexities of being a human on this planet in this time, in this season, you know, is a great starting point for healing yeah. for all of us. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, continue to write on, sister, write <laughs> on, you know? Um, you know, I think something about writing a book, you you know, I said, uh, if anything shall happen, um, these words are left here, yes. you know? And I know that's something that those of you, if you write poems or songs or whatever that is, is like having that, a piece of yourself, you know, just published. I know that that's a, a, a big thing um, uh, or journaled. Um, mm-hmm. So you continue to write um, stories that that heal and that um, transform and mm-hmm. um, that um, will be here for kids um y- even younger than your daughter your daughter's generation you know yeah. um and, and th- th- like you said there is like this generation they are different they are, they are different they are different <laughs> very different years yeah and at that age like that age 10 and 11 mm-hmm. is so critical um I, when you were talking about your daughter i was thinking about my um um, my best friend's son, my godson, and, and I remember when he was 10, he's 16 now, but he overheard a conversation that we were having and um, it was some, something like we said, people need to understand what it means to be white. What does it mean? Like we, there's a meaning to being um, black, we understand, but do white people understand what 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 is the meaning? Like understand what it means to be white. And so he overheard that conversation and he was like, I know what it means to be white. And we were like, what? she was like, what, what are you talking about? You don't, <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. Just go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Right, right, right. You know? And he said, he said, it means to be free. Wow. And it's like in his 10 year old head, he had He'd already observed. Enough. He had already absorbed mm. in this racialized society mm. and had interpreted that. And, um, mm. You know, and he he even, you know, um, elaborated on it where it says like, you're you're really if you're white, you're always innocent until 
proven guilty. Wow. And so even in this society, he had already at 10 understood the game. Yeah, absorbed it, you know? Yeah. And so, so yeah, so there's a lot of work to be done. Uh Can I say something really quick? I believe in giving folks their flowers while they're still here. (laughs) Um, And I just want to thank you for the work that you do. Like I said, I've been following you for a great long time um, and listening different things that you've done. And I am so grateful that you are here and and willing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know I, I can imagine how hard it can be sometimes. I can imagine how uh, the enemy will often, you know, mess around, mess with you, <laughs> you know, for uh-huh, a little uh-huh. bit And I just want you to know that I'm so grateful to you for your work, for all that you're doing, for all that you will continue to do. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, God is just, um, you're, He's doing something special mm. for you, for us, mm. for people in general, yeah. um, for reconciliation, but not in the sort of um, kind of way that we've defined it, but for a greater reconciliation that we can't even imagine mm. at this point. And you're one of his his soldiers in, in that work. And so just thank you. I just wanted to make sure I Aww. thank you personally for all that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Just thank you for saying that. Um, I appreciate that. I was just telling um, Lauren um, and, and Sarah that like sometimes you just each we've had a I've had several podcasts today mm-hmm. and each person there has been a touch point with Be the Bridge in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, and I was like, we will never know like just what a, a yes has equal to in mm-hmm. the lives of people. So, um, you know, sis, we're going to keep praying for each other and <laughs> keep saying yeah. yes, keep writing, yeah. <laughs> doing everything that we know to do, you know? Um, yeah. and so I'm just grateful for you. Um, I, I hope this will not be our last, I know this will not be our it last conversation. It was not. Exactly. Right. Right. I was just going to say you in New Jersey, Lauren in New Jersey, y'all, yep. need, <laughs> y'all need to hook up. You know, I'm yep. actually um, when I um, when I do um, get this book out, this next book out, we definitely want to come up to that area. Um, oh yeah, yeah, to that. Let to me know if you area. want to be in conversation. If you want to do yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. I'm, I'm I sure will. I sure will. So, Lauren, <laughs> we're gonna keep your um, your name and information down. Mm-hmm. I'm following you. You know, <laughs> oh, there. I think your your mom with did your mom did your mom go with you too? She did yes. I took her to the Image Awards? Yes, and yes. Them. Her little Sorry. Kentucky self, she just was so happy. She put on her dress and she was just like, woo, and try to get pictures of, you know, Angela Bassett and yeah. everybody. <laughs> you know how mamas do. Yeah, yeah. I could imagine. I, I remember my dad, we went to the, um, I got the Ebony 100 a um, mm-hmm. couple mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. And I remember him, the, the people, what's that, that he watched that show, Queen Sugar. Yeah, and we were sitting right beside their table, and he mm-hmm. loves that show. So he was up there. I just remember, and I think I still have this picture of him doing to the side with his, his, <laughs> his phone, like, right, taking pictures. 
they have no idea that they like, you know, my dad, he was like, he didn't want to go over there and disturb him, but he was like, I'm going right. to sneak and take these pictures. <laughs> yeah, my mom was like, you go, you go, you already go. Just tell him you won the award. I was like, mine don't quite work like that, but okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know it did her heart. So she, much was, she was very proud. Yes. That, that, that was probably bigger than anything. I know. Being able to take your mom there and her to see that. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Girl, I love you. Oh, I love you. I knew it. <laughs> Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.